Yes, welcome to Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM 103.7. David Peterson from Walls End Community Nurseries sitting opposite me. Hello, David. Hello, Phil, and good afternoon, everyone. And uh, I think it is a good afternoon if, if, you're, some, if you're somewhere uh, in the cool, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I got out early this morning and did some things oh, yes. in the garden before I came in. I think that's probably I thought it was garden. really nice this morning, but apparently it was uh, 99% humidity, but it didn't is that right? feel like that no, this morning. No, but... Not at my place anyway, but nice nice bit of breeze yeah, this morning. But yeah. I think it, it's going to turn into yes. a hot wind the way things Never are looking. So, gardeners, time to go inside, sit down with a cool drink near the radio with the phone close at hand because you want to ring David and answer, uh, get David to answer at least <laughs> some of those questions that have been bugging you over the weekend. 49216216 is the number. Lines are free at the moment. Be a good, good idea to give us a call very early on or write the number down because between now and half past one, You'll want to ring David about something. 49216216. We'd also like to hear success stories. If anything's working for you in your garden and you'd like to share that with everybody else, the same number. 49216216. And of course, everybody who rings that number goes in the drawer to win these wonderful things that David's giving away. And of course, they go in the drawer too for 2NURFM's Gardening Walkback, where David comes around to your place to have a look at your garden and give you some all important advice there and then on the spot. We do that once a month at the end of the month. But David, um, some wonderful things you've got here to give away and a very interesting plant here. The blob. We're calling it a blob. Oh, I thought you were talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) No, is that what it's called? It is, yes. It's it's just simply called sedum purple blob. Oh, right. Because it just looks like a blob. You know the, um, well, I mean, we all remember plasticine when we went to school. I don't think they do plasticine. uh, Maybe Play-Doh or something like that. (laughs) A goopy sort of stuff. Yeah, well, that's exactly what this looks like. It just looks like someone's made a plant out of plasticine and put it in a pot, because it's not that, of course. It's a real growing plant. But it's just simply called purple blood because it has a purple tinge to this little sedum. Very, very pretty. It's used as a ground cover, or else you can use it as an underplanting in a pot plant or something like that. And as I said, it's just a greeny, grey sort of foliage, but it's got this purple tinge to the foliage as well. So really, really attractive. Remembering with all of these succulent plants that they don't require much water at all. They are a dry-tolerant plant, so they are very, very good even if you do a a cactus garden or a succulent Mm. garden they're Mm. tremendous because you only need them to need to water them about once a week at the very most so great plants is sunny position by the way uh, as much sun as possible because they don't like shady spots because that's when they tend to just rot off and um, just fall apart and um, that's the end of the plant so good sunny spot as well as that i'm giving away another bag of the lawn food so that's the um, the fertilizer we can pop on and uh, get your lawns looking great for that very important day. As well as that, I've got a box of the Fostigen tomato food. This is the soluble one, which of course is the one that you dilute down with water and you water over your tomatoes once every couple of weeks to give you beautiful tomatoes as well as the plant itself as well. As well as that, I've got a couple of sachets of saturate and a couple of sachets of something else that's in there as well. <laughs> right. Uh, mystery sachets. Yes. Okay, and what you need to do, first of all, is be a caller on today's program and once you've done that you need to be listening at the end of the program to see whether um, you've been the lucky winner of uh, all these things that David's giving away, chosen by David's personal pen. It is. At the end of the program. He just stabs the pen on the list and that's the person who wins. Exactly. Okay. Um, I think, David, we should go to some calls if you're ready. Um, First, after 
hanging on the phone for quite a long time. We say hello to Max from Barnsley. Hello, Max. Hello, David. A little bit of a problem. Yes. I had some strawberry plants that were given to me by a relative and brought in from Victoria, from Melbourne. And uh, I had about four of them, and I also have about four local Nellie Kellys. I don't know what the uh, Victorian name was, Mm -hmm. but they're the Nellie Kellys, uh, sort of the plants are growing all right, but they're very small strawberries. Mm-hmm. And the ones from Melbourne are deformed. Oh, okay. All right. Now, I, I have sprayed them with uh, Mancozid and Labasid. Mm-hmm. And that's about uh, kept them, the soil tossed with straw around them, etc. Okay. Et uh, so they've got good living conditions, but this deformity, I don't know whether it's an insect or a fungus or what the heck. Well, I'm sure if you've used the lebicid, I mean, that should actually cure that part of it because lebicid's a good general insecticide and, of course, it's a very good control against fruit fly as well. Not that we often get fruit fly in strawberries, but, I mean, certainly if you've got the lebicid, it wouldn't hurt to use it. The mangazeb, of course, will cure any fungal diseases, which they are susceptible to as well. So if you just do that spray periodically, Max, I'm sure you'll keep most pests and diseases away. Certainly what I would suggest to actually try and give you a much better looking strawberry is, I mean, you've probably heard me mention it so many times about some potash. Uh, Potash is now available in a liquid form that's uh, one that you can mix with water and then just just water it over your strawberries every couple of weeks. Certainly I would suggest that you try that because that's going to help the quality of the fruit a little better. But as I said, as far as the uh, deformity of the strawberry goes, I'm sure the lebicid will have cured that. And if you've got any fungal disease through rotting and things like that, the Menkazeb will take control of that. So you've done actually very good uh, using those products to begin with. Well, they're about a yard outside uh, Ballerina Apple. Mm-hmm. And they're, I've got them around the boundary. It's in around bed and I've got around the boundary. And I do the uh, apple tree with the same product. Yes, yes. And uh, spray the strawberries as, as I'm going. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very good idea. I, as I said, I think the only thing now is that you get yourself some of the potash good. and just try f- uh, feeding them every couple of weeks, and that should improve the quality of your strawberry. Right. If I get enough, I'll bring you in a punch. Oh, that'll be lovely. Thank you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye Thanks, now. David. Bye. Thanks, Max. We'll look forward to those. <laughs> okay, to YE next. Regina is on the line. Hello, Regina. Oh, hello. Um, I hope you don't mind, but I want to ask you about four plants. Um, the first is the tipicina. Um I didn't trim it um, uh, after it had flowered last year for mm-hmm. health reasons. I was unable, but it's a low-growing one. It's a bit untidy now, but I've forgotten when, when it... Uh, it flowers. Normally, yeah, normally with most tibishinas, they flower during the autumn months. So they're yet to go through the summer months and then they start to flower when it gets a little bit cooler. Oh, a bit to go yet then. Yes. And uh, I've got a guava tree that uh, I put in roughly three and a half years ago, which has grown very well. It's about oh, three foot high now, maybe a bit more. 
this year, for the first time, it's got some beautiful flowers on it. Does that mean I'm going to get some fruit? Well, I hope for your sake you will, because yes, that does mean that it's um, it's going to produce the fruit. So you'll just have to watch it really, really carefully and see that they go through to the fruiting stage. Now, what I'm going to suggest to you, Regina, is um, not only look at it very carefully, make sure you keep the water up to it because it's a very critical stage when they are in flower that they have enough moisture to start producing the fruit. So just make sure you keep the moisture up to it. And as I said, for your sake, I hope you do get um, some guavas this year. Yes, uh, I grew them once before when I was in the Southern Islands Mm -hmm. and they they were really nice. So I'm looking forward to this one. Which one is it? Oh, gosh. Why are you asking me? Uh, What colour is it? I should have asked that one. What colour is the fruit going to be? I don't know. Oh, okay. (laughs) The flowers are really beautiful. Yes. Pink um, with a sort of reddish centre. Okay, well, it might be the cherry guava that you've got then in that case because Mm, that sounds very much like the flower that it has. So, Oh, well, it would be a nice surprise for you, Regina. So, uh, yes, I do water it quite a lot. Good, I've noticed it does lead water. And now the other thing I want to ask you about, uh, I can't, I'll try and pronounce it, Mm -hmm. Raffiola... Raffiolepsis, yes. Springtime, that's that's on the label. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been flowering beautifully for me um, for all the last three years, but I've never pruned it. It's just finished flowering. When can I prune it? Well, certainly now that it's finished blooming, you can give it a prune back. And it really doesn't matter how hard you actually prune the raphiolepsis because it will reshoot out of fairly old wood as well. So if you just get your shears out and just give it a good haircut, put it into some sort of reasonable shape, it will bounce Mm. back as good as ever for you. It's a lovely shrub, when it? Oh, it's so hardy, yes, yes. Now, the other thing is I've got a trailing lotus... uh, I've got the fancy name, Lotus Bersoletiae. Yes. Yeah, um, which is flowering beautifully at the moment in a hanging basket. Uh, I only bought it a few months ago. So um, do I do anything with it after it's finished flowering? Do I trim it or anything? Yeah, just trim it very, very lightly. That's all you really need to do with that. And it, once again, will bounce back to life as good as ever. And when should I trim it? Just after it finishes blooming. Oh, well, it says that it blooms spring to early summer. So that that way you can trim it back lightly. It'll have a boost of flowers and then it'll look like it's having a little bit of a sleep. So that's when you prune it back again and then it'll come out with another boost of flowers for you. Great. All right. That's all. Thank you very much for all that. Thanks, Regina. (laughs) Okay. Okay, bye-bye now. I'll know what the guava is. That'll be lovely. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Strawberries, guavas, <laughs> people with delicious things all over the place. 49216216 is our number. Gardening Talkback here on 2NURFM 103.7. Let's say hello now to Elaine from Charlestown. Hello, Elaine. Oh, good morning. I have a tomato um, growing in a pot. It's um, got lots of flowers, but the flowers keep dying off and there's no tomato forming. Okay. All right, then, you may not have heard me mention earlier about the strawberries and the potash, the liquid potash. Oh, yes. Well, this is a very, very good product, particularly for this reason as well, because when things are showing signs of flowering and they're not producing into the full stage, it just means that there may be some potash missing in the ground. So, as I said earlier, there is a product that's called potash, which is in a liquid form, that you can dilute down fortnight.
nightly and just water it over your tomato plants and that will encourage the flowers to go a little bit further than what they've been doing. I've been giving it some um, sea salt. Sea salt's a root stimulant, so therefore it's promoting the root system. It's not promoting the foliage um, and the fruit. So that's why we need to swap over to these other products to try and promote the flowers into the fruiting stage. I've got some in a powder form, so I'll mix The potash? It yep, that's yep. fine. Okay. Okay. All right, then. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye Bye. now. Thank you very much, Elaine. And um, Graham from Bulwara Heights now. Hello, Graham. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I'm having trouble with um, my nectarines. Yes. Yeah. Has, has anyone been having problems with them? Like the tree was loaded. Yes. And they've all gone... Soft? No, okay. No grub or anything in them. All right. Well, if they've gone soft, that proves that there is a fungal disease in them because there's been a lot of fungal problems already this season because we've had a fair bit of rain and we've also had fairly high humidity days. Yeah. And of course, up in your area, it would even be hotter. Yeah. So this causes fungal disease, and that's what will happen. A lot of the um, the fruit that may have started to form just goes very, very soft, and it just gets a, like a a wrinkly look to it and it'll just fall off. So that's probably a fungal disease. Now, Graham, can you tell me whether there's any fruit left on the tree at all? Um, I, I got some off it. Right. You know? um, I, I picked the ones that were that were on it that okay. were still hard. You right. Know? Um, okay. Well, if you still need, feel as though you need to spray it to help the fruit that may be still there, you just get, need to get yourself some mancozeb. Yeah. and just mix that up according to directions and just spray that on your nectarine tree. And you need to follow up with another spray in approximately 14 days as well to get that under control. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. But that should yeah. cure that the disease for you. But I'd say that's all that's happened yeah. uh, throughout the conditions that we've had so far this season. Yeah, like last year, I, I um, lost a lot of with the, the wind and that, you know, lots of... That's lots right. Of we got losses. really strong winds at the beginning of the season, yes. Yeah. And then I, um, the birds got in and, and got the, got the fruit. <laughs> yeah. and it's what, never ending, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And what I've done this year, I, I, put, I made a, I built a homemade scarecrow. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. And, and that, that, kept the, that kept the birds away. That's a great idea. Great yeah. idea, yes. Yeah. But I, as I say, they just went soft. Yes, you know? okay. Yeah. Well, they look beautiful, the fruit. Yes. You know? Well, of course, that's another thing that you'll just have to put on your list ready for next year's crop again to just watch them for the fungal disease. Yeah. I'll do that. All right. Right. Thanks very much, David. Thanks, Graham. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you, Graham. 28 minutes past 12. You're listening to Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM 103.7. David Peterson from Walls End Community Nurses. Nurseries. (laughs) Nurseries. <laughs> it's, it's a mouthful, uh, isn't it? It is. I'll get used to it in time, David, I'm sure. Walls End Community Nurseries uh, here to answer your gardening questions. The number to ring is 49216216. Back to your calls on Gardening Talk, back on 2NURFM with David Peterson. And David, uh, next on the line, it's Brian from Lambton. Hello, Brian. Oh, how are you, David? Good, thank you. I've got a new um, passion fruit vine, Annette Kelly, mm-hmm. and the new growth is getting uh, like a leaf curl on it. It seems like there's a little white insect gets under the leaf. And it, can you actually, is it going through the leaf and just forming a snail trail, perhaps, or...? It's not making a hole, it's just going, yeah, it's making a trail underneath and it's just curling the leaf up. Okay, well, that would be very probably very similar to the citrus leaf miner that we have a problem with. Mm. Probably best uh, to take the really badly affected foliage off first if you can do that. 
Um, well, and mainly all the new growth. Actually. Yes, well, that's exactly what happens to the citrus tree, and yeah, I've noticed this year. Yeah, sorry. I've noticed that it also is on a fair amount of our lettuce plants at work as well. So it's obviously the same sort of bug. So we normally suggest to just trim off the young foliage first and then we can prevent that from coming back onto the young foliage just by spraying it with some pest oil. And that that will be the better one to use for it. But as I said, as long as you try and get rid of most of the diseased uh, foliage first, that's taking care of the problem uh, and then you'll just need to prevent that from coming back to the younger foliage once it forms new foliage again. Okay, well, pest oil's the go. Thanks, David. You're welcome. That. Okay, Brian. Right, Bye-bye thanks now. very much. Thank you, Brian. People um, seem to be needing pest oil a, a lot recently, David. I think we've had a lot of calls over the last few weeks where yes. you recommended pest oil. Is, is it a seasonal thing, do you think, that we're getting those insects? Or? Well, look, I've, I've never known, actually, the miner to actually get through a lot of these other things mm. as they're doing this year. And as I said, I've noticed on our our display beds at work, that the lettuce have even been affected mm. by this miner that just, um, it looks like a little snail trail through the actual leaf and it just, it's a tiniest little insect that's the, probably the, the size of a pinhead that just mm. makes all this, these marks on the young foliage. So as I said, as long as you try and get rid of that first, put it into a plastic bag and seal it and then spray to prevent it. But yes, more coming in, we're trying to slowly educate our listeners to get away from the white oil if we possibly yeah. can and switch over to the pest oil because right. it's a lot safer to use in the garden, particularly during the summer months, whereas white oil tends to burn a lot of things yep. because it's very concentrated, mm-hmm. where pest oil is a much safer product to use as far as um, the oil-based products go. Terrific. Great tip. Okay, uh, next up, it's Jennifer from Facey. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, David. How are you? Good, thank you. That's good. Um, this is the first time I've ever called you. Congratulations. So thank you. <laughs> and I have a feeling that the, the answer you're going to give me is your favourite potash. Right. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> not my favourite. It's just that it's what people need. To, but it just, it just <laughs> seems that we need to probably produce this potash in mass quantities. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Um, look, I've decided to have a go, um, or a couple of months ago, at starting a veggie garden. Mm-hmm. And I prepared the soil. I put in, um, you know, very old horse manure and home-grown compost and all the rest of it, mixed it in, and it's all beautiful soil. Um, but I've put in, um, some things are growing quite well, but I put in some golden nugget um, pumpkins, the little miniature mm-hmm. pumpkins, and they're as healthy-looking as anything, and I've given them something grow fertilizer yes. as well um, every two weeks and they've got beautiful foliage and they've got covered in flowers and they get little tiny pumpkins about the size of a walnut mm-hmm. and then they just shrivel up and rot up okay. and go. Well not necessarily do you need potash for this one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because if the, the actual pumpkins are forming I mean you obviously have some form of that in, in the actual fertiliser. Certainly you could add the potash liquid fertiliser which will help them even further but I think in your case because they're actually forming and then they're rotting it might be a fungal disease. Now the, the lot of the pumpkin families and the cucumber families are very very susceptible susceptible to fungal diseases during our summer conditions and particularly when we've got fairly high 
uh, humidity and we're watering fairly constantly, it tends to um, spread fungal diseases even more faster. So I think in your case, Jennifer, you probably need to get hold of my other favourite thing, which is the mancozeb, uh, and just uh, mix that up according to directions and spray that over your pumpkin plants and right. try and do that again in 14 days' time. And that should take care of that particular problem for you. Great. Thank you. Right. And two other quick questions. Certainly. Did I hear you mention, um, I've also, years ago I planted some tomatoes and they cropped beautifully, but they were full of grub. Mm -hmm. And I try not to use chemicals. And I think, did you mention something about that pineapple juice? Does that stop the grub? It certainly does. I mean, pineapple juice is one of the things you could try. I mean, it's it's basically just golden circle pineapple juice that you mm -hmm. must have, not any of the other brands, yes. because it's the thicker out of all of them. Right. And you just mix 60% of that to 40% of water. 64. Yes, we mostly suggest that for fruit fly because the fruit fly doesn't like landing on the actual tomato with that sticky substance on it. Uh-huh. Uh, but certainly you could try it for the grub. But look, certainly there is another product out there which we suggest quite regularly. It's called Success. Um, and it's a fairly natural ingredient, which I have found is very good to keep that caterpillar away as well from your tomatoes. Oh, fantastic. Okay, thank right. you very much. You're welcome and Great. thank you very much for your call, Jennifer. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Jennifer. Hope we uh, hear from you uh, mm. again soon. Not that we hope you'll have more problems, of <laughs> course, but just be nice to hear from you again soon. Uh, next up, we go to Wanji and we say hello to, is it Sina? That's right. Hello there. How are you? I'm good, thanks. What can I do for you today? Uh, onions. Yes. Right. We grow them every year and we have good success. This year... Uh, we've got the Hunter River White Hen, mm -hmm. in, in the uh, end of March. They're growing well, but instead of coming to the top like they usually do, they seem to be a long way down. Oh, okay. And another thing is they have like a core down the middle, hard down the middle. Right. What's wrong? <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, is there is it a problem actually having the the onion down underneath the soil? I know most onions that I see their their little uh, top of the onions normally right at the very surface. But tell me, is it causing a problem when you pull one of these up? Uh, for no, we, oh, okay, they're, okay. They're still they're still right. Yes, we've grown them for a few years. Yes, we've got a few hundred in. Right, okay. <laughs> They are, they've got this core down the middle. Yes. Now, the core down the middle, tell me what, you've obviously opened one of the onions. Well, they're ready to pick. Yes. And I've been using some. Okay. But they're hard down the middle. Yes. Oh, so it is a hard, like a brown sort of core? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. You yes. couldn't eat it. It's hard. Yes. It's down the middle of the onion. All right. Now, because you've grown onions for quite a few years, I mean, obviously, you know when to pick them because if they get past their use-by date, they will form this sort of core in the centre of them. Right. Because it's starting to brown on the top. Yes. You know, and fall over. Yes, and, yep. that's, and you know that's when it's time to pick them anyway. So, yep. Yep. Uh, so that, that's really good. I mean, as far as the core down the middle, I really don't know what would be causing that. Perhaps through the actual production of the onion, it may have got a bit of fungal disease or something like that. But right. no, I've not heard of the actual brown core coming down the centre. Certainly any... real brown. It's like the onion, 
it's hard. Yes. It's that light brown. I know, I know when we buy onions from the grocer, occasionally you will get one that's like that in amongst all your onions. So I think if to any of those listeners out there that, that may know the reason for that, perhaps they might give us a call and you may hear back from us about that. I'm afraid that's where we'll have to leave that call um, sent on a very uh, bad line there, getting a little bit hard to hear. Uh, but yes, if uh, anybody mm. does does have an answer there, I uh, would love to hear from you. 49216216 is the number. We'll go to uh, Beth in Balmoral now. Hello, Beth. Hello, uh, David. How are you Good, today? Good, thank you. Good. David, just a quick one, I, th- I hope. Um, clivias yes. that have flowered and then left the um, flowering stalk mm-hmm. on it, should I leave those on or should I cut them off? Well, I would normally suggest to cut those off because if you leave them on, they're only producing a seed, which right. most people don't really want because they're basically grown from splitting clumps to mm-hmm. give you your new plant. But certainly if you wanted to leave one seed capsule there just to experiment and grow the seed. But otherwise, no, I would cut them off because that way all the energy goes back into the actual plant then rather than producing the seed. Fine. And just one thing, other thing with them, how regularly should you pull them out and rake them up? And um... Well, you don't have to pull them up at all if you don't want to. If you've got room for them to spread and they yeah. still look great, they're still growing great, you just mm-hmm. leave them there. Okay. It doesn't make any difference to how I, I found I broke them up a couple of years ago and it seemed as though they flowered. That shouldn't make any difference because they would normally... I mean, I've seen huge big clumps that are very, very old and they're flowered successfully year after year. Oh, good. Okay, then. That's fine. Yep, yep. Thank you very much. Thank you, Beth. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you, Beth. And I think we finally caught up with um, all our, our calls. We've got lines free at the moment on 49216216 if you've been waiting to get through. Uh, Carol from Hilldale is our next caller, David. Hello, Carol. Hello, David. How are you? Oh, not too bad. That's good. What can I do for you today? Well, what I'd like to know is how soon can newly laid turf be cut? Okay. Well, normally, if you're very, very careful when you've cut your lawn for the very first time after you've had your lawn laid, you must have the mower on its very highest setting. Because even though it may be growing successfully, it may not have attached itself to the soil underneath. So you sometimes cause a lot of um, uh, problems with the turf. But as long as it's been down a few weeks, certainly you can go ahead and cut it, but make sure you've got your mower on the highest setting. Yes, so what? Five, six weeks? At least, yes. Well, that's that's going a long time after it's been laid to have it cut, particularly the way it should be growing at the moment. So, go on. They did say not to walk on it for five weeks, so... Okay. All right then. Well, if the turf companies have told you that, that's an awful long time for this time of the year. I would normally suggest to cut it, you know, at least a couple of weeks after you've had it laid, particularly during the summertime, because otherwise it's going to grow really high and then you're going to have problems actually getting the grass down to a good level. So if you feel you can walk on it safely enough now, I mean, it's it's not like walking on glass grass because I'm sure it will mend itself very easily, Uh, but certainly I would suggest to cut it if it's been down more than two weeks anyway so all right then okay thank you very much you're welcome carol bye-bye bye-bye Thank you, Carol. Gardening Talkback, David Peterson from Walls End Community Nursery. I've nearly done it again. You've got it in your head, Phil. I'll have to vacate, just 
get my, my brain empty. I'll do that during... Never thought of entering the nursing profession. No, no, but you nurse plants, so maybe that's... Yeah, that's, that's where it's coming yeah, from. That, that, okay. Yeah. Okay, now we've talked it through. I'll probably be able to get it out. Okay. <laughs> Walls End Community Nurseries is Thank here you. to answer your gardening questions. The number's 49216216. And, um, but let's say hello now to Leon from Head and Greeter. Hello, Leon. Leone. Oh, Leone. I'm sorry, Leone. Oh, well, I better correct my writing here. <laughs> How too. are you, Leone? I'm fine, thanks. Good. I think I've got what you commonly call a parlour palm. Yes. And they grow real long and stalky and all that. And I'm wondering, I have heard, is it possible to chop them off and then stick them in again so they grow better again? No, that wouldn't be a parlour palm because, I mean, with a parlour palm you should never really disturb the root system or take it away from the root system. So, obviously it it may be something else. I mean, a parlour palm should look really graceful, uh, just like a palm frond that you would normally get. Yeah, well, this has got palm fronds, but it's got a great big long stalky stem because it's just been growing taller and taller. Oh, I see, I see. So it's a reasonably old one, is it? Okay, then. No, well, unfortunately, you can't do anything about that because it, it sometimes sends growth up from lower down, so you haven't got any regrowth at all or new growth coming up from underneath? No. Mm. I, I tried it one time before, but it didn't work. No. I had heard, and I thought, well, if it wor- works, I'll... Well, I have never heard of parlour palms being able to be grown after they've been cut off the main plant, so I think you'd be taking a risk by doing it again. Oh, I... I I won't worry about the it. The other thing would be to just invest in another little one yeah. and uh, just start off again fresh yeah. with another one. You can do that sort of thing with happy plants, can't oh, you? Oh, yes, certainly with happy plants, but certainly I haven't heard of that done with a palm and I personally wouldn't um, suggest to do it anyway. Okay. Thank All right. You. Thanks, Leonie. Bye. Bye-bye. Yes, thank you, Leonie. Um, to Maitland next, and Terry is on the line. Hello, Terry. Hi. Yeah, good afternoon. A um, couple of questions. I've, I live on just a couple of acres just outside of Maitland, and we have a fair amount of she oaks and also, unfortunately, wild olives. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the she oaks have been too close to the house, and I've been knocking them down. And of course, the wild olives are now illegal, and they have to go. Um, but uh, we planted them in the late '80s. But I'm getting regrowth from where from where they knocked them down. And I was just wondering, what's the best way to do with that? Like, the stumps are actually regrowing. I often use Roundup, but just a normal Roundup isn't doing it. Mm-hmm. And should I just make up a potent brew of Roundup or use something else? No, I think um, I would still stay with the Roundup. The only other thing you can do with stumps that are regrowing is just chop around the stump itself just with a tomahawk or axe and try and injure the bark as much as you possibly can. And quite often that in itself, after you've done that two or three times, the plant will stop growing because you've injured it so much there's nowhere else for it to reshoot from. Uh, That's probably a good safe method as well as, of course, if they do send out shoots, I would still only recommend recommend the normal strength with Roundup because you should never go any stronger or weaker. And um, there are chemicals that are a lot stronger than that. But, of course, if you use chemicals stronger than that, it will kill the ground as well. So that's the only precaution. So, yeah, I would stay with the Roundup. But as I said, try the axe or the tomahawk thing of chopping the stump around. Like ring barking. Well, not next to you. Just chopping into it. So you're creating so much... um, uh, 
you know, jagged wood and things yeah. like that where it can't reshoot out of that sort of area. And I find eventually with that sort of thing, they do slowly just die back anyway. Okay. Well, one other question on the she-oaks mm-hmm. is we still have quite a lot of them, and as you know, they run shallow roots yes. and send up new trees. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to, say, try and kill the, you know, that new regrowth, mm-hmm. and it can be from a long way away from a tree... Mm-hmm. Am I possibly going to kill the main tree? You won't necessarily kill the main tree, particularly if it's a fairly mature one, but you certainly will injure it uh, by using, uh, once again, your Roundup, because remembering it only goes or stays within the plant that you touch, but that, of course, is going into the root system of the main plant, and it will have some effect on the tree. Whether it will lose all its foliage, it may not do anything at all, but, I mean, it's a precaution that I've got to warn you against. So just use the mattock and knock them off. Yep, that's probably the lot safer method of doing it okay well one uh, one other question um i i've got my veggie patch and i grow zucchinis and have done for many years and i've never had trouble with zucchinis and the last two years um i get the zucchinis and they you know you get about three inches long and then they don't progress any further Mm -hmm. so i've done my research and and it's pollination problems Mm -hmm. and and I've actually proven that because now I've been hand-pollinating them and it's worked sort of miracles overnight. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting zucchini again. Um, and I've never had bee problems, but they're, you know, and I'm allergic to bees, so I'm always sensitive if there's some around. Mm. There's none up there. Um, what's the best way to get... Uh, bees back to my veggie patch? Well, of course, the only way you're going to get bees back to the, the gardens is as many flowers as possible because that's what's going to attract them otherwise. Yeah, are there particular flowers? That would... not, well, not really. I mean, certainly any of the natives will always attract the bees, whether it be bottle brushes or grevilleas particularly. But I noticed I've got a, a lily-pilly cascade in my garden at home which is in full bloom, and my goodness, the amount of bees that are around <laughs> this lily-pilly is just incredible. So, and that's at the moment, is it? Yes, it is, yes. Okay, yes. and that's lily-pilly cascode. That's right, yes. But any of the lily-pillies, uh, the flowers will attract them as well. But certainly grevilleas is one of the most big attractants out of okay, all of then. them, yes. All right, well, I'll see if I can get the bees back around. Okay. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye Bye. now. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, my grevilleas are just yes. absolutely buzzing with bees. Mm. It's it's like some sort of machine out there. <laughs> uh, next on the line, Graham from Corlett. Hello, Graham. Hello, how are you today? Good, thank you. Listen, I rang last year regarding a common lemon tree in my next-door neighbour's yard. Yes. You might remember that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the council said that, that, that they didn't order him to cut it down, so it's there now. Oh. And it's, and it's loaded with uh, shield beetles. Yes. And they're about to start flying. And I've asked him to spray them, and he hasn't. Mm. They're, uh, oh, there's millions. And I'm wondering what I could spray on my lemon tree, perhaps to keep them off. Certainly. White oil be the go? No, no, no. We try and stick away from white oil. We try and stick that out of the door, probably towards the back of the cupboard completely during the summer months. You need to use a Confidor or Conquer is the other one that's used. So they're both designed basically for getting rid of shield beetles. I'll mention those two again. It's Confidor. Or Conquer is the other name for the other product. The Conquer, I found, is a little bit more reasonable with price, and it still does exactly the same job for you. This is one of these lemon trees that flower all the time. Yes, uh, yes. And that won't affect the... Uh Oh, not at all, not at all. No, no, it's basically designed for um, for getting rid of all those insects, including those nasty shield beetles. 
And that really surprises me about council not um, mm. wanting to get rid of a common lemon when they know it causes so many problems in the garden. Gall wasps yes, and like that's that, right. Yeah. Yes. I even went down to Canberra to try and get some sense out of them, yes. but uh, they just sent me a lot of literature back that didn't make sense anyway. Yes. And oh, it's still dear. there. Never mind. And, uh, we just yeah. have to probably live with it, unfortunately, Graham. I'm sorry. Yes, we have to. Yes. Okay. okay. Thank, Thank you very much. Okay. Bye bye now. Bye for now. Thank you, Graham. And next up, we say hello to Carmel from Belbert. Hello, Carmel. Oh, hello there, David. Good afternoon. I like your show. I listen every week. Thank this you. This is my first time I've rang you. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. <laughs> in regards to my hide arrangement, yes. in the past they've always flowered so well. I had purple, mauve, pink and white. Now I only have a few purple and mostly all white. Mm-hmm. Can you give me some help in regards to what I need to put in the soil? Okay. Well, first of all, with bluing of the hydrangeas to bring them back to a nice blue, you can use a product called Bluing Tonic. Yes. To get them pink, you just need to add some garden lime to the ground and that will turn your hydrangeas pink. Lime, yes. For pink and bluing tonic for blue. But as far as the white, normally they don't change, but I've had people uh, ringing up contrary to that and telling me that they do change. So perhaps by mm. using either the lime or the bluing tonic, that will bring your hydrangeas back to a more vivid colour for you. Oh, good. Thank you, David. You're welcome. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Carmel. Yeah, was it hydrangeas we had um, uh, people saying that that they hadn't planted white? Oh, no, I think that, that might have been... Um, the agapanthus. Agapanthus, yes. yeah. Where That's another thing that... M- mystery um, white yes. plants, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that keeps changing. <laughs> right, so... I don't have answers for that, Philip. No, Sorry, I no, we, we, we won't open that, that particular <laughs> little horticultural Pandora's box. But as far but, as white hydrangeas mm. go, as far as I knew or understood... They um, they shouldn't change, but I mean, right. certainly for these people that have got white hydrangeas and they want to change them, by all means, try these couple of things. Give it and a go. Let me yeah. know whether it changes the white to a pink or a blue. So that would be really yeah. interesting. So maybe they're white because it's absence of any sort of pigment yes. cells yes. or whatever it yes. is, yeah, and and nothing you can do can change. It's that. very strange, yeah. just very strange. Yeah. We'll have a little bit of controlled experiment here with, yes. with gardening talkback listeners. Let us know if you've got white hydrangeas and, and you'd you like to, to change yeah, them. Yeah, and what, just what try that for yeah. me. That would be really great. Okay. This is Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM 103.7 uh, with David Peterson from Walls End Community Nursery here to answer your gardening questions. And um, the number to ring is 49216216. David Peterson's here to answer those calls. Scott from Macquarie Hills is waiting to talk to you, David. Hello, Scott. Hello, Good Scott. There you go. Good, thank you. Um, I've got a uh, Alexander palm. Yes. That I've um, bought from a nurse years old, about probably two metres high, and it's in a cluster of three. Mm-hmm. I put it straight in the ground. It um, didn't last long because the ground was clay. So mm-hmm. I pulled it out um, before it died too much and put it in a, a large pot. Um, two of the Two of the sides have died completely, and there's one left, which is slowly coming back all right. But as the new shoots come through, it's, um, the tips are um, already uh, brown and died off. Okay. Just wondering 
Like that. I would say possibly it's still under stress, uh, particularly when it probably got waterlogged when it was in the ground, particularly with the clay. And because the other two sections have died, it was it's probably the after effects of still the rot that's in the system. So I think you'll probably find as it continues to grow, it will probably grow out of that um, browning sort of effect that it's got. It's only the initial foliage that was probably still there being produced when it was waterlogged. So that's why the young growth is like that. But I should think after it goes out of that stressed um, a fact that it's in, it will come back to normal again. Excellent. I think well, the the, sorry. sorry. I think the only other thing to do, Scott, is to try and um, feed it up. Uh, certainly with palms, they are very, very good to feed them with some lawn food, particularly if they are on their own, because lawn food promotes growth rather than producing flowers, and that's what you exactly need when it comes down to a palm tree. Right. Well, the other two that have died off ever come back? No, they won't. You're probably best to try and cut those off somehow down towards the base so that you don't have those two dead stems sticking up in the air with the other third. Okay, excellent. All right. All right, thanks very much for your advice. You're welcome, Scott. Bye-bye now. Thanks, bye. Bye. Thank you, Scott. Um, To beautiful Tanilba Bay now and Carmel's on the line. Hello, Carmel. Hello, David. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I've just taken up a new hobby of um, growing plant like vegetables in yes. pots, and they were going really well. Um, all of a sudden, my beans have gone um, all holy and uh, like marked mm-hmm. and curly. Okay. Well, all right then. Well, what we need to do there is, without actually seeing it, once again, I might be stabbing in the dark, but sometimes you'll find that beans get a little mite into the foliage, which causes a a disfigurement of the foliage, and then they just stop producing. I mean, certainly with any form of vegetable, I don't like to suggest anything too powerful in the way of a chemical. So what I'm going to suggest to you is to try and get yourself some pyrethrin, I've done that. Okay. So you'll need to do that probably, say, fortnightly to try and get this under control because it's only a very mild chemical that we're using. Well, it's not a chemical. It's a natural product. So that's why it takes longer for these sorts of things to be controlled. Oops, excuse me. Wouldn't be too much water, would it? Well, in pots, normally you shouldn't have problem with moisture because they drain fairly freely. So therefore, you normally don't get a water logging problem as long as these pots do drain freely. That's most important. I'm so proud of them. (laughs) (laughs) And so long as they're in a nice, good, sunny spot. And so long as also you just give them some liquid fertiliser every couple of weeks to keep them moving as well. Yep, yep, I've done all that. Yes. Uh, So look at that. Try the pyrethrin. The the only other thing I want to suggest to you, Carmel, is if they look too deformed, you know, they're they're really bad, it probably will be very, very wise to take those out and start fresh again. Because otherwise you're probably going to be spending far too much uh, um, money on products to try and get them better again. So as I said, if they look really bad, take them out, Top up this, the, the pots again with some compost to reboost the soil again oh. and then just plant some more because they'll come up very quickly this time of the year. I've put a couple of them in with tomatoes. That doesn't hurt, does no, it? No, that shouldn't hurt them at all. All right, okay. Thank all right. you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Carmel. Um, I should just mention here that um, uh, all our programs are available on podcasts if you go to the 2NURFM website, 2NURFM.com, and uh, follow the prompts. You'll be able to uh, listen to the programs um, in 
in leisure and peace and quiet in your own home or on your own podcast machine, whatever <laughs> those things are. Um, after Graham that Wilson's was work, very is, well done. Thank Phil. you. Uh, yeah, how very lucid I am today. Uh, after um, Graham Wilson's waved his magic wand over them yes. and done all that kind of stuff. You can also, uh, if you'd like to get a question to us for next week and you're not able to give us a call, then you can ring us. Uh, you can fax us on four nine two one seven one five eight, and David will answer the, the the question next week. Or you can email it to us gardening at two nurfm dot com. Or you can even just post it to us, uh, to a new RFM. Um, University Drive, Callaghan 2308 will uh, find us. If you put gardening on the front of the uh, the envelope, then um, that'll make its way to us. Okay, um, to Cessnock now, and Lorraine is on the line. Hello, Lorraine. Hello, David. How are you going today? Good, thank you. Very hot here. I could Ooh, imagine, I yes. imagine, Lorraine, yes. Um, a couple of questions I have for you, David. Uh, firstly, we have some tomatoes growing and they're, they're beautiful big plants and they're absolutely covered in fruit. But some new little leaves that are just uh, the new growth part are sort of curling very tightly to the centre. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't appear to have any uh, problem with the new flowers and that that are on it, but I just sort of wonder, the rest of the, the plant's fine, it's just the, the new growth in the centre bits, they're all sort of growing very curly leaf. Okay, well that could mean one of two things. First of all, sometimes when uh, our vegetable seedlings, particularly tomatoes, which have a very, very soft young growth, are sprayed by a product, or accidentally I should say, sprayed by a product that they don't particularly like, this will cause a, a like, like a... Um, a, a, a malfunction of the foliage, let's put it that way. Uh, I'm getting confused with words. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Deformed though. foliage, that's what I wanted, deformed <laughs> foliage. Uh, it's sometimes because if there's any weedicides being sprayed around the area, like some something you may have sprayed for bindies or of a council oh, spray, yes. sometimes that drifts onto the young foliage and it causes this deformity in the foliage. So that may be one. If that is the case... Simple uh, solution there is just to nip off the young foliage and yeah. let it reshoot again. The other yeah, thing well, that... As I said, the, the bigger leaves, uh, lower leaves and uh, all that are fine. That's, yeah, yeah, well, that's what I mean. The younger leaves are really, really soft and they are very susceptible to any of this burning that may occur. The other thing normally that gets into tomato foliage, the young growth, is a mite. But it sounds very much like, to me, it would be the spray damage. So as I said, just nip those very top leaves off just right. dispose of them and it'll regrow back and probably be quite free of that. Right, yeah, then because the tomatoes are, are wonderful. It's Good. just absolutely loaded. Okay. Those big plants, um, you know, we've been following your instructions to the letter as to caring for them. So that's probably why they're doing so well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and what have you been spraying with as far as to combat the fruit fly? Well, we haven't yet. We've put some dust on them. Yes. Is that okay? Yep, that's fine. Do the pineapple thing. No, well, certainly if you haven't had any trouble with fruit fly, that's very good. But I'd say that's because it's so early in the season as well. But um, that's an excellent re- excellent result considering it's so early in the season. Yeah, for no, them. they're absolutely loaded with, uh, good. with fruit. They're grafted tomatoes. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're very well. And also the little gra- a little uh, cherry tomato is doing very well too. It's got lots of uh, branches of little little tiny t- toms on it. Oh, that's wonderful news then. Yes. And the second question I have for you is geraniums. Now, I have quite a few because I, I, I like the uh, flowers and mm-hmm. that we get from them. We've got these pesty, miserable things that make the leaves go yellow and then rusty. And Okay. 
Well, that is just simply called rust. It is a fungal disease. Uh, Unfortunately, geraniums are susceptible to that. So you just need to get yourself some mancozeb and just mix that according to directions and give your geraniums a spray. But, Lorraine, when you're spraying them, make sure you just give them a light spray only on the top as well as underneath. Don't drench them. There's no need to drench them. But just a light spray on the top and then try and get up underneath the foliage because that's often where the fungal disease is. Yeah, I mean, I've been breaking them all off and throwing them in Good. Yes, that's excellent. Some of them seem more susceptible to it than others. They are. Mm -hmm. The number and the colour has been absolutely magnificent. Well, that's good. Now, certainly by using the mancozeb, that will stop the problem from getting any worse um, and just keep that up every couple of weeks to keep it under control, particularly during the summer humid months is when you'll always find this problem occurring. Right, yeah, then. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you very much, Lorraine, and to Raymond Terrace next, and we say hello to Jan. Hello, Jan. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, thank you. That's good. I was just wondering, what can you do when you've got an invasion of slaters? Slaters. Well, slaters are very easily controlled. I mean, just remembering with slaters, they're only after dead and rotten material. They don't normally cause any damage to the garden, so something has to be damaged first for you to have slaters around. Now, there is one particular product that I know has slaters listed on the label, and that's just the the basil, the snail bait, the blue the blue basil snail bait, and it has a little slater listed on the or illustrated on the front of the packet. So you can just sprinkle that around, and they'll nibble the snail bait and just curl up and die but as I said normally they're only after dead and rotten material then they work through that in the garden Okay. I mean, I know people have told me that they have, just for an example, some strawberries growing in the garden, and then they find that the slaters are actually nibbling into the strawberry. But the strawberry normally would have to have, uh, you know, a mark in it first or a a Mm. bite out of it by something, and it's just starting to rot away. And that's why you have the slaters get in and start nibbling away as well. Yeah, well, with the compost and the mulch... Mm. that would be ideal food for them then, wouldn't it? Well, it probably would be, yes, and that's probably why you've got so many around. So if it's it's worrying you, as I said, the snail bait, the basil should get rid of those for you. Okay, wonderful. All right. Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you, Jen. I saw a very fat and very smug-looking blue-tongued lizard sitting on oh, top yes. of uh, a rock yesterday afternoon in my garden. So I think that might have cured my... Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of slugs yes, around the place. Yes. Yeah. I think maybe that might be why he was looking so smug and well Well, the more you have Phil, the more encouraging <laughs> it will be for him to stay there. So. Yes, well, that's right. You've got to have some things there for them to yes. eat before they come and eat them. <laughs> um, okay, Rosie from Corlett wants to oh, speak to you hi, now. David. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. That's good. I fell over in the garden this morning and smashed down a blue ginger. Oh, okay. And I hope I you're all right, are you? Oh, I'm all right. I bounce. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was wondering if I could um, propagate that stem somehow. You could certainly try, but most most of the time with gingers, they're actually grown from the corms, which are the part that they shoot from out of the root system. That's exactly right, yes. So I think without the actual corm, you may not have much success, but certainly it's worth a try just to stick. I certainly would just cut it into sections and just stick it in rather than putting one main piece in and just see whether it does shoot away or not. Oh, goody. 
Hmm. Or just lie it on its side. And- no, you'd probably be best with the cuttings to stick them in as a normal cutting rather than the corms, which, as we say, we lay across the ground. Yes. But certainly, yes, just stick the cuttings in. I, I don't think they'll shoot, but, I mean, certainly it's worth a try. And, of course, yeah. the um, the existing one, of course, it will just reshoot away from the corm again for you anyway. Oh, beautiful. Yes. It's a bit late for this season, won't it? Oh, you never know. I mean, the season has really only just started, so, I mean, we've still got quite a bit of warmth to go, unfortunately, with Phil. He doesn't like the heat. Uh, for the, <laughs> until right through till March or so anyway. So, I mean, yeah. you probably will get regrowth. Oh, good. And, listen, David, is it true that when you crush a snail with your foot that it releases the eggs and you have twice as many snails? I don't know. You're telling me that. Well, someone, an old, very old lady told me that the other day when I was oh, about really? to leap onto a snail. Yes. yes. <laughs> I have no idea. Once again, we have to mm. leave that open to our listeners whether yes. that's the case. Yes. Uh, but I haven't heard that before, no. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, David. Keep listening. Yeah. Okay, okay. then. Thanks, Thanks very much, Rosie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rosie. In the meantime, I probably would be leaping away, I think, leaping on them. Um, yeah. oh, I wonder if they, yes, they, they, that's they, most interesting. Yeah. Well, some of the snails would have to be males. That's so, right, yeah. yes. And maybe they'd, they're on their way to lay their eggs somewhere yes. secret and safe. So maybe, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, maybe a, Something I'd never even thought a, of. A snailologist we need yes, to, to give right. us a call. Okay, um, Sue from Charm Haven's next. Hello, Sue. Hello, David. Um, we've just bought a bottle of um, Rogue or 100. Yes. Um, is that all right to spray on our orange tree? It's got on it not to be used for um, food in a house garden. Mm. I mean, I'm glad you've brought this up because this is a new regulation with Roger now because all the Roger bottles are either having new labels stuck on the old original label. We cannot... Uh, actually recommend that anymore for fruit fly which is one of the main uses for roga so it cannot now be used on any edible crops in the garden so it makes it extremely difficult um, but i'm still trying to find out more and more information about that to hopefully pass on to you as i said People have used roga in the past for so many years on their edible crops, particularly, as I said, for fruit fly, where we cannot, as nursery people, now recommend roga for any edible crops. Right, so is there anything else we can use for fruit fly for the orange tree? Certainly, yes, there are other products on the market. There's still Lebesid available. Uh, There's still the eco-natural lure, but certainly, you know, go into your local nurseries and just ask what other remedies there are for fruit fly. So there should be at least two or three other substitutes that you can use for fruit fly, including, of course, the pineapple juice recipe, which uh, I have, which is just the golden circle pineapple juice. Just mix 60% of that to 40% of water. And then you can spray that over your fruit and basically it just needs to come in contact with the fruit because it creates or leaves a sticky sort of substance on the fruit and the fruit fly doesn't like landing on that substance. And of course the only uh, time you need to renew that is when it loses its stickiness, whether we have some rain or watering or whatever, and then you just need to repeat it. So you can try that one as far as an environmentally friendly thing. Right, and... um Morning or night would be best. It doesn't really matter with the pineapple juice recipe, but as far as any of the other chemicals go, it is wise to do them very early of the morning or, once again, very late in the afternoon when the sun's gone off your trees. All right, 
been great. All right. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your much. call, Sue. Right. Bye-bye Bye. now. Thank you, Sue. I keep meaning, actually, to buy some pineapple juice and, mm. and do my tomato, my solitary lone That's tomato. Right. <laughs> um, I, I'd hate to lose the few fruit oh, that I've got. So would I feel. Yeah. It would be terrible. <laughs> Uh, sometimes you sound like you're being a little bit cynical. Though. No, never. I've okay. been told I'm never like that, Phil. Okay. Uh, jo- Joanna from Mayfield is next. Hello, Joanna. Hi, hi, Patrick. I just uh, try and be quick. Uh, old umbrella tree. Can you grow umbrella trees? From cuttings? Well, certainly you can. Uh, of course, uh, you just need to cut a limb down of an umbrella tree and yeah. quite often you can stick that in a pot. Remembering only, Joanna, always to grow these in a pot, never to put them out no. into the ground. No, 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 <laughs> like fig trees. Well, that's exactly Ooh, right. That's and it's amazing the amount of umbrellas that I've seen growing in pots that yeah. people have placed on the ground and they just continue to grow there with the pot yeah. still around it and it just grows and grows and grows. Yeah, so, but, yes. Yeah, but, yeah. yes, certainly you can grow it from a cutting. They'll just grow quite easily. They should do, yes. Oh, great. So I'll put it in now. And, yes. And, um, great time to do that when it's nice and warm. Oh, great. Because it's an ancient one. It's, oh, okay. You know, they get tall and, you know... Tall and straggly and lose all their... Well, we also remember too, I mean, if you've got a really straggly umbrella, you can cut it back and it should reshoot out from lower areas again for you. It's had that done to it, but it just looks a bit sad. (laughs) It's a bit past its time, do you think? Yeah, I think it needs a a new lease. Yes. All right. Well, I'll leave that with you, Joanna. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, Joanna. Last call for today, David, is from Peggy from Katara South. Hello, Peggy. Good afternoon, David. I didn't think I was going to make it. Only <laughs> just yes, but squeaked in, Peggy. Teeth. Look, I want to say I put the cactus into some cactus potting yes. mixture. Uh, I cut it all back and put the green stuff in. And I'm wondering, do I have to give it a little drink of water from time to time? Or now that I've just got it into the new potting mix, um, do I need to water it or is there enough moisture in them? in that um, potting mix? I would, I would only keep it at the very slightest moist because it, if it gets too wet, we're having the same problem again. It's just going to rot off. So right. normally you just keep it, you know, just oh, very slightly watered, but not very much at all. I mean, we don't want the potting mixture to dry out or the seed raising mixture or whatever you've used yeah. to dry out completely, but we just need to keep it a little bit on that moist side. Right, I will do that. Now, I've got some good news. Yes. I had some persimmon seeds, some I'd eaten myself, but there was a lot of persimmons around this year, for, you know, to buy. Mm-hmm. I've never struck that so much before. So I put the seeds in, and I've got three up, and they're about six inches high. They're looking really well, and I just think how lucky I am. Excellent, yes. I've never been able to raise them before. But this has been a good strike. Oh, well, that's excellent. So hopefully they'll continue to grow and then you'll pop them out into your garden with your other forest that you've got. <laughs> I have got a forest, haven't I? Yes. Oh, well, thank you. All right, Peggy. Thank you very much. For no, my time. pleasure. My pleasure. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you, Peggy. Nice to finish the program with a success story. Yes. Uh, but Diane from Tumbiumbi takes the... Um, uh, last word here, she says about snails, she rang to say snails are male and female, but when they mate, they both go away pregnant. Oh, really? 
and uh, Diane has put a postscript. That's why we've got so many of them. <laughs> so, well, yeah, well, thanks for that, that information, is most Diane from Tumbiumbi. Yes. yes. Well, hmm. yes, See, we learn something new every day. We do. Phil. Right here on Gardening Talk Back, you can learn all sorts of things <laughs> yes, about all right. sorts of things. Okay, David, uh, we're into overtime for you now, yes. so we need you to choose somebody to be the recipient of these wonderful things. Uh, just take a few minutes to go through them okay. before we choose. All right, it consists of this beautiful sedum purple blob, and it's exactly that. It is <laughs> just like a little blob of, su- of succulent sitting there. Lovely um, grey sort of green foliage with that purple tinge to it. Really, really pretty little plant, I think. As well as that, I've got a bag of the lawn food, a box of the tomato food, uh, which, of course, you probably could use on your other vegetables as well, and some saturated there as well as some other little goodies in that bag as well. I thought I might give it to Carmore from Tanilba Bay today, a little bit far away, but a lot of our callers, as you've probably noticed, Phil, are quite far away today, Yes, uh, the majority yes. of them. So, Carmel, all you really need to do is hopefully make your way down to Walls End Community Nursery. That's on the corner of Crowdis and Lake Road. One condition is try and get in before next Monday's program where I will have a brand new gift to give away next Monday. That's great, David. And as usual, we'll look forward to seeing you again next Monday. Thank you, Phil. You too, and good gardening, everyone.